because you are worthy of that. Holy Spirit, I ask that you fill this place. That you fill this place by filling your people. And there's just an outpouring of what's already welling up in the inside. Father, if there's ever a time that we need you, we need you now. If there's ever a time that we need you to intervene and redirect any plans that we may have so that your plans may manifest above all that we have planned, we need you now. And so, Father, I ask that as I'm in the midst of the community of faith, that they would just stand in agreement with me that, Lord, we need your spirit. And, Father, that we welcome your spirit because it's through you that we move, that we live, that we have our being. So, Father, I thank you. I stand before your people heartbroken this morning. I need you. I ask that you give me the words, Lord, to communicate that you have, that mercy may spur us on to greater works, that may spur us on to glorify you like never before. We love you and we trust you because you can be trusted. And it's in the matchless name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to be here with you all this morning. Um, I'm excited that we could uh, give our pastor a break uh, as he's out celebrating 35 years of marriage. That's amazing. I hope and I pray that I could get to the point of celebrating 35 years of marriage. Uh, I pray for the day that I could sit on my front porch in the rocking chair and just enjoy the fruits of our labor. Oh, man. Praise the Lord. Hey, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. As, as Pastor Ricky would say, uh, I need you. <laughs> so, so the more I hear a little, uh, so, some amens, uh, I may preach a little harder and get out your way. Um, but reality is, I'm struggling this morning. Um, as I'm prepared to come here, I, I get a phone call uh, that one of our, our Young Life kids, senior in high school, passed away. And so, um, yeah, I need the Lord. <laughs> I need him to intervene this morning. 
Um, but here it is to me as I'm driving here and I'm thinking about and even pulled up some pictures of times where she was sitting in the atmosphere and we was communicating the word of God. And I was able to look at some of the pictures and look at the joy and the, the expression on her face. It, it, it told me that there's even more of an urgency to communicate the gospel to the world. And as believers in Christ, we have been given this great task of communicating his word because it's evident that we don't know the time, the season, the date when the Lord is going to call our number. And so while we have this, this great task of communicating this good news to a world that's passing away every day, that we need to hold that with honor because he's given us this great task of communicating his word to the world that's around us. And so, um, in, the, in the past few weeks, Pastor Ricky had perfectly laid out what it means to have a harmonious home. He gave us a great and much-needed reminder of what it means to be arrows and archers. And finally, last week in a few passages uh, that I'm glad he had to preach and not me, uh, because the difficulty that came along with the text, he laid out perfectly that no matter how hard it is, we're to do everything as to the Lord. And today as we pick up in Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10, I want to remind you that Paul wrote this letter with a deep concern for the church in Ephesus, with the sole desire for them to know the purposes and nature as believers in the Christian faith. Some scholars said that Ephesians uh, is the highlight of all of Paul's letters. Unlike any other epistle, Paul wrote these letters not uh, to confront any issues, but to 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 encourage the church. He wrote these letters to, to strengthen the church, to us, the ecclesia, the called out ones, to those that have been called out of darkness and brought into the marvelous light, only to be sent back out into the darkness with the light. Paul wrote these letters for us, the church. And after saying so much about relationships, uh, one of the main focal points in these 10 verses was that Paul wanted to emphasize was that people are not our ultimate problem. Even though it may feel like it at times, even though that coworker or, or that boss or that, that person that you just have a hard time dealing with, even at times they may feel like they're the problem. But in this text, Paul's reminding us that we have a much bigger problem than the people problem. And some of y'all are probably sitting there thinking, Nate, I could think about four or five people right now that just get on my nerves. Uh, that's just hard to interact with. But Paul knew something when he was writing this text. Uh, he knew 
that dealing with people is hard. And that's why this is one of the first times in any of his epistles that he wrote overtly about spiritual warfare. It was right after talking to believers about how we're supposed to live out our relationships and how we're supposed to to deal with people. And, and, And Paul knew that people have a tendency at times to pull out the worst in us. And so he was saying, when dealing with people, you need to be suited for what comes along with dealing with people if you truly want to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ, which we have all been called to be as believers. And so in verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, he says, having fastened on the belt of truth. And putting on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Paul says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And to take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Notice Paul begins this letter with saying, finally. I think this word finally transitions to say that after all that I previously said, I'm about to say something else. So in conclusion to everything that I said, I'm going to give you more instructions. But first, I want you to remember what I previously said. In chapter 1, he talked about this God that wanted a people for himself. The Bible says in chapter 1 that God determined to have a people for himself, that he loved and chose that people, and that he blessed that people. In chapter 2 in Ephesians, it said that God saved that people and that he wanted, uh, that he's growing that people together into one family. In chapter 3, he says he's chosen to get glory from that people. It's through them and through the church that God shows his mind-blowing and multifaceted wisdom. That, that God has done, um, and that's uh, a predicate for what we get to do as, on, a, on a regular basis as Christians. In chapter 4 and 5, Paul is saying basically that we're supposed to live in concert with one another. And that we should show a contrast to those who are around us that are not a part of God's holy people. And so in other words, Paul here is painting a picture before he gets to The finally. The picture that Paul is trying to paint is the ideal Christian life where husbands are loving their wives as Christ loved the church, as children are obeying their parents, as as parents are not provoking their kids to wrath, uh, as, as slaves are supposed to obey their masters as to the Lord. He's painting a picture of the ideal Christian life. 
And then suddenly, there's this great transition that takes place. Uh, it's because even though that this was the ideal uh, picture, it's also hard, and hard things come with a spiritual battle that begins to rage war on the inside of us. And Paul is instructing us for this battle that's about to come, and he's saying that we need to be suited for it. And so if I had to pull out a theme, a concept of what I wanted to talk about today, uh, it would simply be get suited because there's a war going on. Get suited because there's a war going on. There's a battle going on. And Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. In other words, Paul is saying to be continuously empowered by being in union with the Lord because you cannot fight an inward spiritual battle with physical strength. Are y'all with me today? Paul is saying that spiritual battles require spiritual strength. And since the Lord is the only source where we can draw that strength from, um, as, as some of my high school friends would say, is that we need to be tapped in to the source. Are y'all with me? Because you do know that God is our refuge and our strength, and he's our very present help in the time of trouble. That's what it says in Psalm 46. It's that, it's that the Lord is where we draw that strength from. And so since that's the source of where we draw our strength from, we need to be tapped into the source. Once we're tapped in to the spiritual source, we are now at a place where we are ready for the instruction that comes how to deal with battle. Like, how many of you guys know we're not always in the right posture spiritually to hear the instruction that comes from the Lord, even after it's been given over and over again? It's kind of like when your spouse or somebody that's close to you have been telling you a certain thing about yourself over and over again, and for some reason, you just don't hear it. And then all of a sudden, you're talking to someone else, and they tell you the same exact thing, and then you go, it just happened to me this week. And I go back, and I tell my wife about what this person has said, and she's looking at me with that face like, <laughs> you know, I've been saying that to you, right? And a lot of times, that's what happens, is that we're not in a, in a place or a posture to hear what the Lord is trying to say to us or what the Lord is trying to direct us to do, even when it's before our face over and over again. But it's once we're in the correct spiritual alignment is when we're able to hear and we're ready to get suited for battle. And it's in this instruction that Paul tells us, to put on the whole armor of God. You do know we have to put on everything that the Lord gives us. It's going to take everything that we have to fight the schemes of the devil. You do know that, right? You do know that we have an enemy that the Bible says is pouring around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have this enemy that is not on our side, that is against us, and that he wants to see us fail. And if we know that, then we should show up ready for battle. Why would you go into a fight unprepared? When boxers get ready for a boxing match, they have months of training. 
before you are released to go out to do a job, there's normally a training process before they send you out by yourself. And so we have this battle as believers. We have this enemy that is against us, that is not for us, and he wants to see us fail. And because we know that, we should be training and equipping ourselves to get ready to fight. We have this adversary that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's, he's, he's studying us. He's studying our weak points, and he's looking for that weakness and that weak spot to pry at. Scripture describes him as a serpent that is craftier than any other beast of the field, as an accuser because he accuses God's people day and night before the throne of God. As a tempter, as a murderer, as a liar. But scripture also describes him as an angel of light. Because his slick ways, in a way, he blends in and maneuvers around God's people. And that's why it's a cause for us to be alert and for us to be aware as believers in Christ. Since the fall, the enemy has had one scheme that plays itself out in many different ways over and over again. Can I share with you what that scheme is so you can be alert? That scheme that the enemy plays out on believers is called divide and conquer. If he could divide our minds, if he could divide our hearts, if he could divide our relationships, if he could divide our friendship, if he could divide things, he could come in and conquer it. That's been the enemy's play since the fall. Did the Lord not say? If he could come in and divide us, then he could come in and conquer us. We can look around our world today and see what's going on, but you have to have spiritual eyes. This, this, this spiritual war will make us think that it's people. Well, you don't vote like me. Well, you don't have the same socioeconomic status as me. Well, you don't, you don't live where I live. Well, you don't agree like I agree. Well, you don't. And, and, and it, it will make it seem like we're constantly at war with one another. But the truth of the matter is, is that there's something that is unseen and is tearing our people apart because we don't have eyes to see. Divide and conquer has always been the scheme of the enemy. Anything that can be divided can be conquered. And that's why I believe that the ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, was given to us as believers. That's why that ministry was given to us, because it allows us to bring once, was, once uh, two things that was torn apart, it allows us to bring it back to one. To oneness in the body of Christ because there is no division in the body of Christ. Do I have a witness here? I think I got my help now. I feel like preaching. <laughs> but it's, it's the things of reconciling and being brought to oneness that we're able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. Are y'all with me today? Bethel Hope, that's why we have to be alert and aware. Because what we have here is a threat to the enemy. A multicultural Multi-ethnic, 
multi-generational church right here in Tyler, Texas, where historically the community has been separated by race since the founding of the, of the city. We are a threat to the enemy's kingdom because he has a kingdom too if you're not aware. But we're a threat to that. Well, we could come together as different ethnicities, with different socioeconomic statuses, with different stories, with different upbringings, and the Lord can bring that together where we can represent our mirror heaven as it is on earth. That's a threat to the adversary. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, if we're not alert, we'll begin to look for things that divide us. Can I make y'all aware today? Oh, that song was just too loud. Oh, that song was too slow. I think we should dress up more for church. Well, I like to be dressed down for church. I don't like when they praise out loud. I like to have quiet time and praise inwardly. If we're not careful we will begin to look for things that separate us. Are y'all with me today? But in reality, we all make one another better. That was a time to clap. That was a time to thank the Lord. That was a time to praise the Lord. Because I don't know if you realize it or not, but this is not happening in many places. This is not taking place in many places. I promise you, I moved from California nine and a half years ago. And when I came here, I asked my wife, what did we move to? It seemed like we took a step back in time. This was some of the stuff that we would read about or see in movies. And to come here and experience it is a whole nother thing. But to also be a solution to the problem is what kingdom people have been called to do. And so Paul is telling us in verse 12, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. People are not our problem, even though it may seem like it at times. He said, but we wrestle against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places, in the evil, in the evil and heavenly places. This is much bigger than a people problem. There is an invisible enemy that wants you to forget that he even exists. Let me tell you something. If what you see is all you see, then you do not see all there is to be seen. Let me rewind that and play that again because I know y'all didn't catch it. If what you see is all you see, then you do not see all there is to be seen. Are you with me again? And we will exhaust ourselves making people our enemies when it's really just a symptom of a much bigger problem. Because what is visible is always preceded by what is invisible. And since Paul knew this, he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand evil. In the evil day. Well, what is the evil day? I'm so glad you asked. The evil day can be today. It could be tomorrow. Or it could be any other day where a spiritual attack begins to take place. 
And so since he knew this, he says, having done all, stand firm. Stand, therefore, stand firm. Paul gives us um, what traditionally people say is six pieces of armor, but I really like to believe it's seven pieces of armor um, to fight with in this battle. He says the belt of truth, and then uh, to put on the breastplate of righteousness and shoes for your feet, uh, having put on a readiness given by the gospel of peace. He says take up the shield, uh, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But here is the seventh piece. In verse 18, he says praying, praying at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication. Y'all do know we're going to need prayer to fight this battle, right? Y'all do know that, right? Prayer is the divinely ordained mechanism that our God has given us. Prayer is like the key that unlocks the heavens and allows all of the blessings that our God already has for us to actually be dispensed to us. Prayer doesn't manipulate God. It accesses what God already has aligned to us in our lives here on earth. And so if you want victory, we, we got to be people of prayer. I like the way that Oswald Chambers put it. He says that prayer is not a part of the work, that prayer is the work. I thought it was going to be on the screen, so, but let me, re, let, me, let, me, let me play that out for y'all again. He says prayer is not a part of the work, but prayer is the work. If you want to live a victorious life, and overcome the spiritual attack of the enemy, we have to be people of prayer. There's no other way around it. So quickly, quickly, let me, let me highlight uh, this armor that Paul has given us to fight with. Uh, and, man, people normally do series just on this scripture alone. So I'm, I'm merely scratching the surface with this. And so take this to build on. Don't take it to hold on and do nothing with it. You take it, dig it deeper, and build on it for yourselves and for your walk. Because I'm merely scratching the surface with this. And so in verse 14, it says, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. Somebody say truth. Paul uses this physical army, this physical armor worn by first century Roman soldiers as this imagery for spiritual armor used um, in battle by believers. And so when you saw the Roman soldier, do we have that picture? We could pull it up. When you saw uh, a first century Roman soldier, the first thing you would have noticed, uh, the first thing that you would have noticed was the helmet with those brightly colored feathers at the top. Or you might notice the broad breastplate, or the gigantic shield that would protect two or three soldiers and they could get behind it. Or you would see the sword that was three or four feet long and they'd carry it at their side. There were many other noticeable parts of the Roman soldier, and yet Paul was trying to figure out what was the best piece to correlate the belt. And, and, and it's ironic that he chose that which was the most, in, the, the least impressive, or, or not even the, the, the piece of clothing that was noticeable. He chose the belt. 
The very thing that Paul said was that we're going to need to stand against the enemy was, was truth. And so he used his belt. He, he chose the very thing that holds all things together. If, if, if you were to take your belt off, <laughs> I'm not advocating that you do it. I'm just saying what I'm saying. But if you were to take your belt off, you're taking off the very thing that holds all other things together. And so Paul is saying the first thing that we're going to need is we're going to need this belt of truth. Because the truth is the foundation of our faith. Truth is the very thing that holds all things together. Well, what is truth? I'm so glad you asked me. Jesus is the truth. Because the scripture tells us that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And matter of fact, no one comes to the Father except through me. His word is truth. And here's another thing. We must know the truth in order to protect ourselves against the flesh, the world, and the father of lies. If we don't know the truth, we have nothing to hold us together. And so what Paul is saying was that we're going to need the truth. In other words, we're going to need Jesus. And then in, in the, the second part of verse 14, he says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's keep that picture up there. The second piece of armor is made of metal plates or chains, and it would protect the most vital organ in our body. The most vital organ is our heart. Our hearts are what allows life to flow through us. And if Satan can pierce our heart with those lies, <laughs> and he sends them often, to cause damage and wreak havoc in the lives of believers, <laughs> the righteousness of God would never manifest through us as we live out our Christian journey. If our hearts can be pierced, if our hearts can be damaged, then what we've been called to do, this righteousness that we've been called to display, would never manifest itself. And as believers, we have no righteousness apart from that which has been given to us by Christ. Our breastplate is our righteousness. And so we have to protect our hearts. I remember I was talking to a brother recently, and I told him, I said, man, there's some of the things that I see you share, some of the biases that I hear you talk about, it's just some of the things that just the way you come off, it gives me a really bad vibe. And as your brother in Christ, I feel like I should be able to come to you and talk to you about, those, about these things. And so I said, some of the things that you are doing is starting to become a stumbling block to me in my walk. And, and, and rather than, than hear me out, he tried to prove why he was right. And so at that point, I had to make a choice. Do I continue to engage or do I shake the dust off my feet? protect my heart. And so as believers, 
we have to be willing to protect our heart. F is going to damage our walk with Christ. Are y'all with me today? And so verse 15, he says, in the shoes for your feet, having put on a readiness given by the peace of the gospel. Pull that picture back up. Roman soldiers' feet was fitted with sandals called the caliga. These sandals were made to help protect the soldiers' feet doing long marches into battle. They had extremely thick soles, and they would wrap around their ankles perfectly to protect their feet against any blistering or to give them some firm footing. The Kaliga also had spikes on the bottom of them to help give firm foundation. And so Paul is saying that we got to have this, this gospel so strapped tight around us that it gives us firm footing where we're in the midst of battle. It was something about those shoes that no matter what came their way or how they had to fight or what position that they had to be in, they would never get tripped up because what was holding them up was firm. I remember we were in New Orleans. We were going to the Bayou Classic. That's a, a tradition of my family, a big game with Grambling and Southern in New Orleans, and they play in the, in the Superdome. And I remember we was out there, and it was, it was a coat. It was a, 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 a coat organization. They were standing on street corners, and they was calling people out like, hey, are you a Christian? And they began to challenge people for their faith. And, and it, it, this was around the same time that in my household at our table, we was having a conversation about apologetics which means it's the, uh, defending of the faith. Uh, some of y'all may think, dang, y'all having some deep conversations with the kids, but I want my kids to be able to, to, to know what they believe. And I want my kids to be able to believe what they, what, to know what they believe and to be able to stand firm when someone tries to challenge their faith. And so this was a time that we were having these conversations and these dudes was on the street corners and they was calling people out that said they was believers and people didn't have any firm footing for what they believed. And they were like chewing these people up. And so sometimes we walk by and I slow down intentionally just waiting for them to call me. Because I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready. And I'm slowing down. And, and, and none of them, none of them would challenge us. And I remember my daughter, Nikayla, she's sitting right here. I think she was like 14 at the time. And, and she said, they must know the spirit of our family. They must know the, the Holy Spirit that we carry because ain't none of them tried us. And here it is. She made that comment, but this was my 14-year-old daughter ready to stand firm in her faith. And I wonder how many of us as believers are ready. It's easy when we're in here where everybody says that they believe what you say you believe. But what about when you go out to the world and no one cares about Christianity? I know we're in the Bible Belt, but I come from a place where my first mission trip was at Ludus Park, communicating the gospel to Pyrus. That was my first mission trip. It wasn't across seas. It wasn't, it wasn't where other Christians was. It was the people that was going to challenge my faith. And so, as believers, how are we equipping ourselves to be able to communicate what we really believe? If our faith was challenged, would we be found guilty of knowing the faith 
that we said we stand firm in. And so in verse 16, it says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Let's pull that picture back up because I want you to see what I'm talking about. The enemy would have these darts and they would dip them and light them up where they're flamed and they would shoot them at you. And what would happen is, is if they didn't hit you, what they would do is hope that it would burn up all around you. Ain't that like spiritual warfare? Where if that, if, if that flaming dart, that, that, that tough situation was to hit your life and it burns everything around you. And he was saying that you got to have the shield of faith to be able to protect that. You have to be able to live out the faith to protect that. We have to believe that what God says is true to protect that. We have to believe that the promises that God has given to us as believers is true for us. Are y'all with me today? And that's what the shield of faith does is it, 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 it interacts or it, it brings forth everything that we know to be true about our Lord. Y'all remember the movie War Room? How many of y'all seen the movie War Room? Y'all remember when, uh, when uh, Miss Clara, she had that, that frame on her wall with all the victories and answered prayers uh, that happened, and she was just able to go back and just list them all? That's what we need in a time of battle is we need to be able to go back and look at what the Lord has already done for us just as a reminder that if he done it then, he'd do it now. And so in verse 17, it says, and take the helmet of salvation. The believers, uh, the salvation is uh, the most crucial piece of armor. This armor proves useless uh, if it wasn't equipped, if we weren't equipped with the helmet. It says, without the indwelling Holy Spirit that enters, at the, uh, that enters the believer at the moment of salvation, all the other armor is useless. Salvation empowers the believer to fight. It protects us in our weakness. And so without salvation, there is no victory. Then finally, it says, uh, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now notice this was the only offensive weapon. Everything else was defense. But the only offensive weapon that we fight with is the word of God. So that means you need to know the word of God to be able to fight with it. Because in spiritual battle, you cannot go back to everything the pastor said. You cannot fight with secondhand information. You need to know this word for yourself. Are y'all with me? And so, uh, yeah. The sword. Um, yeah, it's the only offensive weapon. And this protects us against the attack of the enemy. This is what helps us defeat the enemy at all times. And so as believers, uh, here's, here's what I say to you. It's one thing that is true, and I want you to know it. 
is that we don't fight for victory as believers. We fight from victory <laughs> as believers. Because the battle has already been won. That's good news. The battle has already been won. It's a fixed fight. And if we allow ourselves to focus on people and not what's going on behind the scenes, then we will miss it. We will feel defeated. Have you ever seen a defeated Christian? That's not attractive to the world. A defeated, I, we should be walking around with the most confidence knowing that we already know the end of the story. The end of the story is that we win. Uh, y'all not excited about that. That's all I got. If we ain't excited about that, we win. It's the end of the story. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, that um, we're already fighting a fixed fight. And Father, I pray that we have eyes to see and ears to hear and to live out this faith that's attractive to a dying world that so desperately needs you, Lord. I thank you for being with us. I thank you for being in us. And I thank you, Father, for working through us. We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.